0: Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number one. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, coming to you from Ontario, Canada. My name is Doug, and this is a podcast about home improvements, home renovation, home maintenance, home repair, anything to do with home ownership and the challenges that we face as homeowners. Now, before I get started, I would like to point out that what you're listening to is just me. I am sitting at a desk with a microphone, a mixer, and a digital recorder. I'm in my home office. I am not in a studio. There's no audio engineer. There's no producer. There's no one else working with me. So what all this means is that when it comes to the audio quality of this podcast, I either get the full credit or the full blame, whatever the case may be. That said... I want the quality to be as high as possible, so if you have any comments or suggestions for how it can be improved, please do me a favor and let me know by contacting me through my website, thumbandhammer.com. All right, well, this is the first episode, so I am going to do that typical first episode thing and start off by giving you just a little bit of background about myself, tell you who I am and what I think qualifies me to talk about home improvements. And also give you some idea of what you can expect from future episodes. The first thing that you need to know is that I am not an expert. I'm just an average homeowner. I have no background or experience in the skilled trades or the building trades. I have never worked in construction or flipped houses or done anything like that. My experience is limited to the two houses that I have owned and lived in as an adult. Before I bought my first house in nineteen ninety six, I never had a reason to so much as pick up a hammer. Frankly, I think I was probably the least likely person to ever become a do-it-yourselfer. Basically, I have been learning as I go on a need to know basis. Now at this point I would like to go back to my childhood. This is something that happened when I was in Wolf Cubs. So, I would have been between the ages of, I would have been between the ages of 8 and 10 years old. Anyway, I must have been working on a badge because I can't think of any other reason why I would have been doing this. But I was sitting at the picnic table in the backyard and I was trying to build a birdhouse. This was one of those kits that comes with the wood already cut, so all you have to do is nail the pieces together. Easy, right? Well, not quite. I was struggling. Hitting those nails with a hammer was proven to be just a little too difficult for me to handle. My mother was in the kitchen making dinner, and she was watching me through the kitchen window. And at some point, I either went into the house or she came outside, but either way, there was some point when she shook her head and she commented, or rather she accurately observed, But I just wasn't very good at using a hammer. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression of my mother. It was not her intention to discourage me in any way. On the contrary, I do believe that her intention was to give me a kick in the butt. You see, most kids would have taken that comment as a challenge. Eh, So you don't think I can do this, eh? Well, I'll show you. You'll see. Just you wait. I'll build this birdhouse. That's most kids. I wasn't most kids. Instead of rising to the challenge, I think that was around the time that I simply accepted the fact that building things wasn't my thing. And I decided to focus on other things that I was good at rather than trying to get better at things that I wasn't good at. That's not a good way to go through life. I mean, it's basically a cop out, isn't it? Really, we only grow when we challenge ourselves, and I wasn't quite there yet. Now, what happened with that birdhouse after that? Whether my mom helped me or my dad helped me when he came home from work, whether I even finished the birdhouse or if I gave up on it completely, I don't remember. Unfortunately, both of my parents have passed away, so I really have no way of ever finding out. It is a mystery lost in the mists of time. But that whole notion of not being able to work with tools, that's something that has stuck with me for 40 years. Now, let's fast forward a few years to the 8th grade the last year of elementary school. We didn't have middle school. Elementary school went to the 8th grade, and high school started in the ninth grade. For about eight weeks in the 8th grade, our class was split up. Now, if this isn't a sign of the times, I don't know what is, but this was 1981. The girls went to home economics, where they learned to cook and bake and sew. And, you know, other stuff that would help them become better housewives. The boys, well, we went to shop class, we, we learned to build things with plastic and wood and metal. And we used machines that could lop off limbs or at least cause serious injury. You know, guy stuff. Well, I hadn't really built anything or used any tools since that whole birdhouse fiasco. So, needless to say... I was not comfortable being thrust into a situation where I was going to have to use tools to build things. And the atmosphere of the shop, and the machinery, and the smells. It was just all so intimidating. But to a larger degree, I I was also intimidated by the other guys in the class who were obviously much more comfortable in that environment than I was. Most of them weren't afraid to use a hammer. I was out of my element. I was out of my comfort zone. My projects were pretty lame. Well, actually, the dustpan that I made for my sheet metal project was pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. And um, I do say so myself. But my plastic project was just a piece of clear plastic folded over on itself to encase a Canadian dollar bill. And my wood project was... A simple display stand for the plastic project. Meanwhile, the other guys, they they were building bookshelves and furniture. I mean, there was no comparison. Yet somehow I managed to pull off an A in the class, whether it was deserved or not. So kudos to Mr. Norris for not discouraging me. But it still wasn't a very fun class for me. I'll put up a picture of my shop projects on the show notes page for this episode because, yeah, three and a half decades later, I still have them. I never found my comfort zone in eighth grade shop class. And I did not want to experience that feeling again. So when I hit high school the following year, I avoided taking any shop classes or tech courses because I didn't want to risk embarrassing myself. I can't even tell you what the tech wing of my high school looked like because I never went anywhere near it the whole time I was in high school. But you know what? It didn't matter. You have to remember, this was the early 1980s. And at that time, there was almost a stigma associated with going into the trades. The general message that we were getting was that if you were smart, your goal was university, a degree a white-collar profession or career. If you weren't so smart, well, you could always fall back on a trade. The idea was that smart people didn't have to get their hands dirty, and if you were someone who got your hands dirty, well, you get the idea. Now, I was by no means brilliant, but I figured that I was smart enough that I didn't have to learn a trade because I was destined to work with my brain instead of my hands. Of course, I was too young and stupid to realize that there was more to the technology curriculum than just Ottawa and Woodshop. But in my mind, anything in the tech wing was just going to be 8th grade shop class all over again. But getting back to the stigma of going into the trades. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a TV show with my daughter. She's 13 now. We were watching some show from either Nickelodeon or Disney or some other station that's geared towards tweens. Anyway, on the, on the show, the teacher there was a teacher that was handing back papers in the classroom. And as he did, he said to one of the boys, as he handed his paper back to him, that he should probably think about taking up a trade, implying, of course, that he had failed and wasn't smart enough to do anything else. So once again, you have that whole idea that the trades are a fallback option for dumb people. Now I can't say how pervasive this attitude is within the education system Let me try that again. I can't, <laughs> sorry. I, I can't say how pervasive this attitude is within the education system today. but it's this way of thinking, I believe, that they say is largely responsible for the shortage that we are experiencing in the trades now. So that's basically my background. All you really need to know is that I was never terribly confident. Tools were not my friend, and I have no background or experience in the trades, construction, or even high school shop classes. So, where did that leave me? Well, folks, I went the university route. I have initials beside my name. (laughs) I guess that makes me kind of special, doesn't it? But a funny thing happened. I mean, besides that whole white-collar career thing not quite working out the way I planned, yeah, like there's a lot of jobs for English majors, in 1996, I bought a house. When you become a homeowner, if you don't have gobs of money, you are going to have no choice but to learn to do some things yourself, from household repairs and maintenance to even minor renovations. You become, at least to some degree, a do-it-yourselfer when you become a homeowner. And that's where I stood. Before buying the house, I lived in an apartment where all I had to do was call the landlord if anything had to be fixed. And I didn't really care about making any kind of improvements because I was not the owner and I was only there temporarily. All of that changed when I bought the house. There was no landlord to call anymore. If something needed to be done... It was up to me to either find the right people to do the job or to learn to do things myself. The first thing I tried to do after buying the house was paint. I wanted to put my personality in the house. I wanted to put my stamp on the house, but mostly I wanted to get rid of the pale peach walls. I kept my apartment for another month or so after the closing date, and that allowed me to not only move some of my stuff over gradually so I saved on moving expenses later, but I was also able to paint the house while it was mostly empty. And that was my first ever DIY project. I attempted to paint the house. And I say attempted. Because, oh boy, I sucked. I sucked at painting It became abundantly clear after a couple days of trying to put the paint on the walls of the kitchen that it was just not going to happen, at least not the way I was doing it. I did the math and realized that at the rate I was going, there was no way I was ever going to finish painting before I had to move in. So I did what any self-respecting adult male would do in this situation. I called my mommy. Let me explain. My father, under my mother's direction, was always responsible for painting the house. Every year, a room of the house, some something, some part of the house was going to get painted. And no part of the house ever went more than a few years without receiving a fresh coat of paint. After my dad retired, he slowed down, and in the process, he also hung up his paintbrush and roller for good. You see... For my dad, retirement didn't mean having more time to do things around the house. It meant more time for coffee with friends at Tim Hortons. So the next time the house needed painting, my parents hired professional painters. Now, it's really important that you know that my mother was a perfectionist. You know the painters did a good job when she was happy with their work. So I called my mother to get the number of the painters they used. I rationalized hiring professional painters because I considered it to be just a part of the closing costs, part of the expense of buying the house. After all, what's another 1000 bucks or 2000 bucks or whatever it was when I was taking on a 25-year debt? Money was flying out of my bank account for lawyer fees and moving expenses, so The additional cost of hiring painters really wasn't that big a deal. Now, these painters not only did a good job, but I also learned something from them. First of all, they explained to me what I was doing wrong. I was overworking the paint. I was rolling the paint on the walls, but unfortunately I didn't stop there. I kept rolling until I rolled it off again. My technique was really, really bad. They explained how much easier it is to do a good job when you use higher quality tools. I was using budget brushes and rollers thinking I was saving money. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. Even if my technique had been okay, the chances of producing a good paint job were pretty slim with the tools I was using. Now, I watched these guys as they painted, and I listened to any tips that they shared, and they shared a lot of tips with me. So later on, the next time I tried to paint myself, I was able to apply what they taught me, and I was able to do a pretty darn good job. So, even though it all worked out for the best in the long run, my first attempt at DIY was an abysmal failure, and it was with something as basic as painting. Shortly after moving into the house, I also needed to have some electrical work done. Now, before I say anything else, my legal department insists that I include this disclaimer. Electricity can kill or maim. Working with electricity can be dangerous if you don't know what you are doing. Serious injury or damage can result from electrical work that is not done properly. Permits and inspections are required when altering or adding to the electrical system of your house. And while I am claiming ignorance at the time, ignorance of the law is no excuse. I had, um, oh, in in case you're wondering, my legal department is, um, it's me. Anyway, I, I had never done electrical work before. I had no idea how to do electrical, so... Hiring a professional was a no-brainer, and it was really the only way to go. Whether or not I hired the right person for the job is open for some debate. However, he was a retired electrician who was recommended to me by a friend. And as it turns out, what he was doing was pretty basic, just adding some plugs and a light, cleaning up the electrical panel. Nothing very complex, just some basic household wiring. But that's not to say that everything went smoothly there were some instances of, shall we say, frustration. There were certain things that were kind of funny at the time that would throw up red flags for me now. For example, he was adding a light in the basement. He connected to a junction box in order to tap into an existing circuit. He wired everything out the way it should be, the light, the switch. But when he turned the breaker back on and hit the switch nothing happened it turned out that the junction box he wired into no longer had a connection coming to it from the panel that circuit had been disconnected and the wires were simply abandoned now somehow that was my fault or at least it was the fault of the house at least that's the impression i was getting since i was the one who bought the house i kind of took it personally Either way, he used some very colorful language, even if it was directed at no one in particular. But looking back now, I mean, th- this, this was clearly his fault. If he didn't know that circuit wasn't connected, how did he know that he wasn't overloading it when he added a light to it? That could have been a more serious problem. But anyway, he found his mistake, he fixed it, he got the light working, and went on to do the rest of the projects. Towards the end of the day, he was adding two plugs in the kitchen. At that time, the Ontario Ontario Electrical Code called for kitchen counter plugs to be split receptacles. Without getting too technical, let's just say there's a little more to it than just installing regular plugs. He ran the wiring for the first plug, but when he drilled into the backsplash to install the plug, he hit some strapping. The house was block construction with one by 2 strapping nailed to the block, and the wall material was nailed to the strapping. So, uh, yeah, he just picked the wrong spot to put the plug. There was a piece of strapping there he had to chisel away at it to make room for the plug. Not really a major issue, but he was just kind of cursing to himself again. And by that point in the day, I was getting fed up with all the negativity. He was frustrated and tired. I was tired and frustrated. So once he finished installing the one plug and had it working, I decided to um, pull the plug on the rest of the project. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Pretty clever, eh? right? Anyway, I paid him. I sent him on his way. And I honestly thought at the time that if I ever needed other electrical work done down the road, he would be the person I would call there I was. I had planned on having two plugs in the kitchen and I only had one plug. At that point, I was willing to live with just the one plug until I started thinking about the limitations of having only one plug and how convenient it would be to have the second plug as I originally planned. How the previous owners lived without any counterplugs at all is beyond me. So I took a look at what he did. I took a look at his connection at the panel I took a look at how the receptacle was connected and basically I reverse engineered everything he did, which wasn't really all that terribly complicated, but I figured out how he had done the job and I very carefully copied his work exactly, taking all the precautions that you're supposed to when working with electricity. And when I was finished, I made sure that I connected the plug properly by checking it with a plug tester. Everything worked the way it was supposed to. And with that, my friends, a do-it-yourselfer was born. I had gone from being someone who wasn't even able to paint to being someone who was able to do some basic household wiring. And for me, that was uh, an amazing feeling. It showed me that I was capable of doing things, and it gave me the confidence to try other home improvement projects. Over the course of seven years in that house, I tackled a number of projects, from installing doors to what many would consider to be one of the holy grails of do-it-yourself-or-dumb, a complete basement renovation. Looking back, I can say with some pride that for the most part, my workmanship was pretty decent. It turns out that uh, I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. I had come a long way from that kid who wasn't able to knock a birdhouse together. And this was where I got the basic idea for my website, Thumb and Hammer. As I was sort of coming into my own as a do-it-yourselfer, there was this new thing called the Internet that was starting to take off in a big way. The World Wide Web as we know it had already been around for a while, but this was a period of explosive growth. It seemed that everyone was getting online and new websites were popping up all over the place. So I decided to launch my own website. What I wanted to do was not create another how-to site, but rather a how-I-did-it site. I wanted to show the learning curve because surely I was not the only person coming from a place of no experience or confidence. It was that whole cliche of, if I can do it, anyone can. And I wanted to show where I had my challenges and hiccups. I guess I also wanted to show off the end result of my efforts, so I will admit that it was also a vanity site. Yeah, I wanted to help other people, but I also wanted to show off maybe just a little bit. So I launched the website in 2000 on freeservers.com. I later moved it to Yahoo GeoCities. Remember GeoCities? GeoCities before I finally took it dot com in 2003. So Thumb and Hammer has been around for a while. The projects from my first house are still on the website, although some of them do cause me to cringe a little because they are not perfect, and I would certainly do some things differently today. And I do point out what those changes would be. Now, by 2003... I was feeling really good about myself in terms of my DIY abilities. Not only was I now very good at painting, but I'd also done framing and insulation, electrical, drywall, trim. I had hung doors, installed a suspended ceiling. I solved a structural issue with some help. I knew my first house intimately. Intimately. I also thought I had a pretty good handle on any potential problems that a house could have. So when my wife and I attended open houses looking for something bigger and better, I was pretty confident that I could spot all the red flags. I was so confident, in fact, that we did not bother to have a full home inspection done on the house that we would eventually buy. We had a former home inspector walk through with us, but it was mainly just for an opinion and to answer a few questions. Even though I could see that the house had plumbing and electrical issues, I believed that the experience that I already had would help me tackle those issues without too much difficulty. I had done it before, I could do it again. Or so I thought. This overconfidence on my part would end up costing us big time. The problems that we could see on the surface were nothing like the problems we found once we started opening things up. I mean, this house... It's a monument to bad DIY. I'm not just talking about electrical and plumbing issues. I mean, there were major structural problems. The previous owner thought that all you had to do to replace a window with a much bigger one was to cut a bigger hole. The back roof of our dormer, half of that roof was supported by a vinyl window because he hadn't bothered to build proper structure around it. He had also removed his supporting wall. He damaged another supporting wall, and the list goes on. Now, you can read about the problems that we had with this house in my blog. I will link to some of the key posts in the show notes, and I'll give you a little bit more information on that at the end of the podcast. We thought that we bought a house that needed minor fixes, not major reconstruction, but within six months, I had gutted one room in the addition, as well as the entire second floor. For six years, much of our house was a construction zone. Even now, more than a decade after we moved in, our basement, which was finished, remains gutted, and we are planning to tear down and rebuild the family room addition. In 2009, we hired professional contractors for a major renovation that saw three-quarters of our main floor gutted so that the structure could be repaired. (laughs) That cost us a few bucks. This house and its problems have been overwhelming. Any confidence that I've had as a do-it-yourselfer drained out of me within the first year or so of owning this house. And as much as I blame the previous owner for most of the problems, I also have to blame myself. Because I ignored the warning signs and the voices in my head that were screaming at me to run like the wind away from this house instead of buying it. Now, because of the problems we encountered with the bad DIY in this house, I have questioned some of my own abilities. No doubt the previous owner thought he knew what he was doing. The last thing that I want to do is make mistakes like he did. Maybe, just maybe, there is no shame in hiring professionals. So the focus of the website... The focus of Thumb and Hammer has shifted from DIY to home improvements in general. and My goal is to find that balance, to recognize what can be done as a DIY project and what can or should be hired out. So, you may be wondering, why a podcast? Well, I first launched my website before WordPress existed, when most sites were static. Thumb and Hammer was originally a static site, and part of it still is. But then blogging became a thing, and the internet became all about continuously updated, dynamic content. So I moved my website to WordPress, and I focused on blogging. Now podcasting is entering the mainstream, so launching a podcast is the next logical step in the evolution of thumbandhammer.com. This podcast will not focus on how-to. There are already experts in radio shows that do that quite well. Rather, it will take a closer look at the experience of living with the chaos of home improvements and examine more big-picture kind of stuff. I will share my thoughts and my experience and what I've learned as both a do-it-yourselfer and as someone who has hired it out. I also plan to talk to other homeowners and contractors, as well as bloggers and experts in the home improvement space, and get their perspective on some of the challenges that homeowners face. Those are some of my ideas, but you can influence what direction this podcast will ultimately take. You can send me an email or voicemail message at thumbandhammer.com contact. You can also leave a comment on the show notes page. This is episode one. I want to hear from you so that I know that I am creating the content that you want. Now, I'm going to do my best to release episodes on a regular basis. (laughs) I have enough trouble trying to make regular blog posts, so this will definitely take a lot of effort on my part. But my plan is for this to be a weekly podcast with episodes between 30 and 45 minutes long. It will also be a clean podcast, so you can listen to it with your kids in the car. To stay up to date on all my content, whether the blog or the podcast, why don't you head on over to thumbandhammer.com and subscribe to my newsletter. So that wraps up this episode. You can find the show notes at thumbandhammer.com slash one or just click on the podcast link for the archives. I want to thank you very much for listening, and I invite you to join me again next time. Until then, be safe. Cheers. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's it. Man.